1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler up podcast. We are on episode 142. Deer season is in gear right now. So on this week's episode, Dimitri and I, we were joined by our good friend, Tom Run and PJ Matarazzo. So both of these guys live in my old stomping ground of Northeastern Pennsylvania. And with it being This time of year, early season, these guys have had success in the past, filling tags and getting on deer, and we just wanted to hear from them what they key in on this time of year. PJ starts this conversation off with sharing his success this season already when he took a velvet buck in Delaware and how he has been able to find success there the last couple years. Both share food sources they key in on and what they do when that source dries up. We had a fun conversation between the four of us. Dimitri shares his thoughts on his end of october ohio hunt who influences pj and how he has taken his those traits from certain hunters to mold his own style just a ton of different topics tom shares some gear he's using and we discuss hunting in higher elevations hunting the so-called october lol slowing down in the deer woods all kinds of stuff so hope you enjoyed this episode Check out antlerupoutdoors.com. We got some new merch on there. Enjoy hunting this this upcoming week, this past weekend on Saturday with that cold front. Man, I would rate it as far as deer movement. I had a lot of doe uh, around. I got a lot of crazy wind swirls, got busted a couple times. So going to be looking at that and seeing how I can improve upon that moving forward this upcoming season, the rest of the way. So enjoy hunting, get in the woods. Enjoy this episode. Antler Up. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to share with you a discount code from Black Rifle Coffee. And Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love America. So fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code ANTLER at checkout to save 20% off your purchase and or your first Club Coffee Club subscription. And also, if you are following us on Instagram, make sure to check out Below our description, in the description of the picture in the podcast, we do put up some different discount codes we have on there with Vapor Trail, Stoker Eyes, Buck Fever, Scent and Lore. So that's something that you would like to start doing with Scrape Wheat coming up. Definitely check check that out because next week's episode, we got Troy Pottinger on. So really excited to have that one on for everybody to listen to. Last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We partnered with social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download GoWild.com to get started. All right, everybody, let's get into this week's episode. Welcome, everybody. We're Joined tonight, we got a packed house this evening. Dimitri's here. We have Tom Runscavage on the other side, and we are joined by PJ Matarazzo. Matarazzo, is that correct?
2: Yeah, you actually got it right. Freaking a, we're we're batting
1: a thousand, Dimitri. We're <laughs> we're we're living the high life now. I I better pit play the lottery. But PJ, dude, welcome to the show. Uh, it's awesome to connect, and I love when friends of ours that are following other great hunters here and you know get the job done and have fun with it so dude it's a pleasure to have you on so welcome
2: thank you i'm looking forward to it
1: so where are you coming out of man is you from pennsylvania what's what's your story
2: yeah yeah so i'm from uh the most northeast corner you could really get i'm kind of where jersey new york and pa all come together Uh, i've lived there my whole life so um i used to live in damon's ferry and, and now i'm over in milford pennsylvania so i've been local
1: that's nice so you're not too far then from tom then
2: no no uh i actually went to college i think up in that area so yeah with a, i
3: think marywood i saw right so that's probably only yeah. like half hour 25 minutes from me
2: yeah yeah i haven't done a ton of hunting up there but man we're getting ready to
1: rock and roll man so <laughs> season's coming up well pj let's uh let's dive into it you've already have a notched uh, tag under your belt I have. Yeah. Down in Delaware. Down in Delaware. So Delaware kicked my ass and, and Tom's and Jim's butt <laughs> last year. So dude, what's uh how long have you been hunting, hunting that state and, and chasing uh, some velvet bucks?
2: So velvet bucks, this will be year three. Um, I did not have success the first year, which was 2020. I was actually living there. So you would think that would have been my best year, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> I graduated college. I moved down there, and uh, I took a job in lake management, uh, lake and habitat management—a little bit of a mix. And um, I had permission on a, a piece that you know kind of came available through family, uh, a family member's work actually. It was undeveloped land, which isn't isn't too common down there. Um, and I hunted that hard. I mean, I definitely over pressured like a hundred acre piece. You know, just not having many other places to go. Uh, some of Delaware's public land, as you guys know, is kind of confusing. You know, some of them are lottery stand sites, some of them, you know, you need cat passes for. Um, so that kind of discouraged me a little bit down there cause I'm used to Pennsylvania. You can kind of walk across the street in most places and you're on public land. But, um, so I didn't shoot a buck down there my first year until I think it was November 16th, uh, and their gun season opens on the 15th. So I missed one opening morning. Um, and then I shot one on the 16th, actually in the same spot. And then ever since then I came back to Pennsylvania and I've gone back down for the Velvet hunt, which has been great two years in a row now. So
3: So you, you lived in Delaware for a year, so you, you got it done kind of right before the gun season started. What kind of drew you into then the following year going down for a velvet? Did you kind of like do you always know that like September like opener Delaware, like 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 kind of a hit yeah. in the northeast or yeah, so
2: I, I screwed up a bunch the first year I was down there. It's not that I wasn't seeing deer. I, um, I think it was the third day I was out when I actually lived there in September. I, I got winded by a deer that was every bit of one hundred thirty something inches on like the third day on property. So I knew that it was definitely an easier time because I mean, if you glass any bean field down there from August to you know that second week of September and it's not yellow, they're they're all over it. You can go down there and watch you know, multiple Pope and young bucks coming out in the field an hour before dark. So that kind of put the
3: idea in my head. Hey, velvet hunting is probably even better than the rut. Okay. Yeah. So then going into year two, then what was kind of your, your plan now that you had one season down in Delaware? So year two, I can't say that a ton changed.
2: Uh, One mistake I kind of changed that I made in 2020 was I dove right into the woodlot kind of thinking like Pennsylvania, you know, when have I ever shot a deer in an open field in Pennsylvania? Um, so I, I, dove into a woodlot and like I said, I got busted. So the, the next year I came down, uh, there's a, there's actually kind of a, a puddle that stays there all year round in the corner of this, this, uh, it was sorghum, actually a sorghum field. When I went down to hunt, which was beans the year before, which was a lot better, but the sorghum was, they were still eating. It. Um, so I sat that puddle and the first night out, I shot like a real small six point, um, which was great. It was the first deer I'd ever seen in velvet, you know, while I was hunting. So I was like, you know, I was excited for it. Was Um, uh, no, I actually shot him like an hour and a half before dark. So, um, he came out early. Like I said, he was a, you know, a year and a half old buck. So he wasn't too smart. Um, and then I, I realized, oh, I still got, you know, five days to hunt. So I went and bought my, my, uh, quality buck tag. And I think I hunted the next day. I went over to a lot that had beans budding up to it. And I kind of, you know, it was pretty open. It was kind of full pine timber. So I was glassing while also hunting. And I had caught four bucks coming out of a bean field in the morning back into the woods. Um, And I kind of just went on a whim. I looked at the wind that night. It set up for them to let the wind in their face come into the bean field the following night. And that's when I shot that 17 point last year um, coming back into the beans. So I kind of saw them in the morning. I said the wind looks good for them to go back to the bean field. And it worked out. They came in like 20 minutes before last light. And uh, when I shot him, there was actually a bigger buck behind him that I didn't know about so i uh i looked at that half and I was stoked to have shot the buck, but then I saw the other one run, and I was like, "Oh boy, I kind of screwed that up. Seventeen points is pretty good though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was an awesome deer
0: now, now, can you talk about your setup on that seventeen point you You said that night the wind is gonna be you know, in their face coming out to the field, you know, if you kind of think about that, you would kind of think you wouldn't set up in that situation because your wind would be kind of blowing back into the betting area. How did you play that out uh, to make sure that you weren't going to get busted um, on their way out to the bean
2: field that night? Right. So it was kind of what everyone talks about. It was that just off wind where it's almost at like a 45 degree angle, you know. I had a general idea where they were betting. It was kind of, I think, I want to say it was a southwest, so it was kind of coming diagonally across the woodlot. And it it barely worked out. I mean, they came in from an opposite 45-degree angle, and I got lucky. If they would have, you know, maybe skirted through the betting area a little bit the other way, I probably would have got caught. Um, But I just figured if I got lucky enough and went in there and tried, they would come in just off enough on that wind that I could get a shot, and I ended up shooting them at 18 yards. And I don't think they had an idea that I was there, so it worked out pretty well.
3: So do you want to fill the, uh, the the listeners in on kind of what the quality buck tag means and, like, how many deer can you actually hunt in Delaware in, like, a given season?
2: A billion. So, as, yeah, as far as I know, the doe tags are unlimited as long as you want to keep shelling out 20 bucks. Um, you get four with the non-resident or the resident license, um, and those are free. And then you have to purchase as a non-resident either buck tag, which is $50, um that quality buck tag i believe is a 15 inch outside spread i don't think it's inside spread so um you know it doesn't have to be anything crazy even to fill the quality buck tag you know most 100 inch bucks will fit the bill um for that buck tag and then the any any choice is kind of the same as uh as pennsylvania's doe classification if it's over three inches it's not a doe it's under three inches they consider it antlerless so as long as it's over three inch spikes you can fill that other tag but, uh, yeah, the doe tags, I think you can kind of pile them up. I've heard a guy shooting, like, 20, 30 does in a season down there.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that that's a, a really cool draw. And, man, because talk about how you were saying you're so used to coming from Pennsylvania on that public land, and you're going there, it's a little bit different. What are your – kind of terrain features that you are hunting and, and p- private public, you know, what are you keen in on? Uh, obviously you're saying like that food, that early season. So talk a little bit about that aspect of things.
2: So I think that was actually the hardest aspect of it for me going down there is there is absolutely no terrain features. Um, I didn't even know what I was looking at on a map. Um, you know, as a pair of Pennsylvania, you, you're looking at top all lines and you have an idea of where to start at least. But when you go down there, you, there really is no aerial scouting. Um, you know, you can look at marshes and stuff and transition lines, but like hardwoods, maybe you got pines, you know, frag muddy grass. That's all good stuff you can see on a map. But other than that, you got to walk through whatever you want to scout down there. So like I said, there wasn't a ton to look for on a map. And that was the biggest challenge easily. Um, but once I figured out, you know, different habitat they liked, it, it, it almost seemed like they didn't need a stick of bedding or as secure of bedding as they do in Pennsylvania. Um, and that, like I said, I'm talking about a private piece, the public land, I'm, it's a little more similar. Um, but on that private piece that I'm allowed to hunt there, you know, the bedding almost doesn't even need to be as secure. And it, it the woodlots are so small. It's it's such a small scale. You can't even really compare it. Um, you know, you could be in something that's 400 yards wide and that's a lot of Delaware in general. Um, you know, nothing is a large track down there. I think I can think of one off the top of my head in Sussex County. That's, uh, more than I think 2,000 acres. So, and that would by me be a smaller tract, as you guys know.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's all kind of fragmented.
2: Yeah. 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 It's very broken habitat.
3: That's
1: the, that's the, now you've, like I said, you're from Pennsylvania, going down to Delaware, hunting out of state, and now you live there for a little bit. You know, what are, what, I guess, could you help? listeners with when it comes to out-of-state stuff like tom you've done a a lot so you know you could piggyback off of him dimitri has a ohio hunt this this upcoming fall like that early november like late october time frame you know what kind of challenges do you see and uh you know tips or tricks or tactics that you feel like are kind of important for listeners to maybe give a go
2: um i think the biggest obstacle is kind of being confident in. uh Restrictions, for example, like if you go to some states, you know, Jersey, for example, you know, they've got an opener in zone, I think two and five, at September 1st. You could go 20 miles, you know, to the west or the east, and they're not open until October 1st. So I think learning stuff like that is kind of key. Um, tag systems is key. Luckily, Delaware is pretty simple. You know, you buy a, an, in my opinion, an awesome license for 200 bucks. You get four doe no tags, you buy the buck tag for 50 bucks, and you go down and hunt. Um, I believe the conservation pass is free if you buy a hunting license, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong on that. But, um, that's a pretty sweet setup. Um, New York, I've also done New Jersey, Pennsylvania. They're all great. But out of state, I'd say the biggest thing is like aerial scout for a long time before you go down. Um, uh, but with Delaware, I know we just talked about how it's a little more difficult to do it there. But a state like New York or Ohio, you know, they're both pretty similar terrains to Pennsylvania. You can, you can get a good idea of what you want to do when you get down there. And I'd also say don't jump right into hunting. Uh, I think observing is a little more important, uh, and you'll, you'll benefit from that in the long run.
3: Now, I was going to say for Delaware, at least specifically, I think knowing the crop rotation was huge, at least that early September part of what's going to be corn, what's going to be beans, and kind of piggybacking off that to kind of – limit what areas you're going to focus on and, and kind of start the process of, of hunting when you were ready to go out after scouting.
2: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, the crops definitely dictate everything in those first two weeks. Yeah, corn's weird down there. So if you, if you think of Pennsylvania by us, you know, the corn's not really... I guess dried out and mature until what they it almost in November sometimes, um, down in Delaware, I've seen them harvest it in the third week of September at times. Like, so I think that they actually key in on it a lot earlier than they do here, um, in Pennsylvania. Like we, we, um, I was down there hunting with my brother and he, he almost shot a real nice eight point opening morning. It was going to corn, you know, on September 1st. So I think they hit that a lot earlier as well.
0: Now, when you, when you were targeting those, those bean fields in the crop, and you said about, you know, when they change that color into yellow or brown, uh, you know, most likely, and then the, maybe the farmers come in and cutting those beans too, you know, what do you do as far as hunting those deer in that aspect when you're around those fields um, once that food source is not available for them? What are you looking for? Is that when you're diving into the woods to a new food, food source? What's your strategy at that point?
2: Down there, I would definitely say browse and white oaks. You know, it's it's kind of the same in that aspect as it is here. Luckily, we didn't have to worry about that this year because the white oak crop down there was abysmal, from what I saw on the property we were hunting at. Um, I checked; it had to be six or seven acres of white oaks we had there. Not a single one had an acorn on the tree. So, but that it'd be the same approaches here. I'd probably go diving into oaks.
1: That was interesting, hunt Tom. I mean, I feel like for us, like we learned even though we always laugh and we joke about getting our butts kicked, but I feel like how I said to you, there's so much that we gained and from just learning from, you know, individuals like PJ of like mistakes that were like, okay, here's how we might be able to capitalize on certain areas, but also, you know, maybe knock on some doors to get permission because man, how many times did we drive by certain places and they're, they're individuals farmland that i'm sure are getting wrecked uh by all these deer because i mean a state just does not give you four tag doe tags with with your general license and that's not have as a, a you know obviously has a large doe density so i think too throwing in that that aspect of things i definitely would be interested in doing it again
2: i think you could have some really good luck knocking on doors down there um for example, when I was living down there, I met a guy. I was just out shooting my bow and, uh, in a field we were allowed to hunt by. He drove by. We, we you know we talked for a little bit. He was a big archery hunter, so we were talking about what bows he was shooting. You know, he had a little 3D ranges yard. He gave me permission on his 15 acres too, just right there from you know kind of BSing with him. So stuff like that down there goes a long way too.
3: And you don't have the travel distance for us. Like I mean, how many places? I mean, September first openers. You're you're driving. Eighteen plus hours to go. Yeah, what's
2: our closest one? Kentucky.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and
2: that's that's a long one. Delaware is, I think, four hours if you don't hit too much traffic.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's and and nobody really ever talks about Delaware too much, which.
2: Uh, Yeah, I, I saw a Field and Stream article actually. I think it was last year. I was reading about it. And I was reading through; they had sleeper whitetail states on it. Number ten made it in as Delaware, and I was kind of shaking my head. I was like, "I don't really want that to make it on the extreme. <laughs> I but uh, I honestly, I, I think the quality of bucks down there you compare to some Midwestern states. I mean, I think the typical archery record there's like 208 or something like that. It's it's pretty ridiculous.
1: Well, you got your out-of-state hunt coming up, and what anything that you are diving into, like.
0: Um, so it's it's a similar situation where the, the piece of public that we're going to target has uh, actually a lot of beans planted on the public, um, a little steeper terrain obviously than Delaware, so uh, that's going to be a little bit different, but obviously that time frame that we're going to be out there in that um, last couple of days of October into the first week of November is going to be obviously the the beans isn't going to be the main uh, source out there, and, and obviously we're going to be in that cruising into the rut phase. So, you know, um, the biggest thing is what we're doing is trying to find those. You know, obviously we know the deer are going to be there in that area because of that huge uh, food source that's available um, throughout the year, but then uh, just figuring out where that hot sign and that those transition areas on those ridges are, that's kind of going to be the game plan.
1: PJU. How long have you feel like you've been keen in on and and sharpening your your hunting skills? You know, like, so like talk a little really? bit about that and like because I do want to dive into maybe like because we're all hunting the big woods, like all four of us here hunt the big woods. You know, obviously different parts parts of the state, but you know, let's let's dive into a little bit of that.
2: So relatively short amount of time. I didn't really think on public at least. I didn't really think they started clicking for me until probably. 2019, 2020, um, you know, I, through college, I didn't get to archery hunt much just because, you know, I, I played lacrosse. So we had fall ball and stuff in school. Then spring came along, uh, I was in season. There was no turkey hunting or scouting. Um, I got to rifle hunt. It's kind of, you know, tradition. I would go to the family farm in New York. We do Pennsylvania opener. Um, but 2020 graduating college, I was hunting a lot of public land by my house. Um, and I got my first mature, mature doe right by the house. So I was super psyched about that. Um, it was a bedding area I knew about. She came right down the exact spine back. I knew about like, it worked out perfect. Um, fast forward to last year, I was hunting the public. I knew about a same bedding area again. Um, I had cruising trails marked out. Real steep terrain, it came through, and I shot a, a real nice four-year-old. His raft wasn't anything crazy or anything like that, but it was a mature buck, and that was really the only thing I cared about in Pennsylvania. So um, after that, everything clicked. I mean, last year, was I had my public MPA buck. I shot two bucks in Delaware. Um, I missed two bucks in New York, darn rifle season. Like, it was, it was just a mess. Um, the year before that in Delaware, I had an encounter with a deer that I thought could have been a booner during the rut during both seasons. So it just kind of all started coming together for me when I actually had the time to hunt um, a couple of years prior, I really started listening to, you know, guys like Dan Infall, was a big thing for me and he kind of got me going on all that, but I kind of went away from his style of hunting, but took a lot of his tactics and just melded them with everything I've heard on podcasts. You'll learn myself in the woods. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about the whole bed hunting thing around here. I kind of struggle to find specific beds and all that in Pennsylvania, but it gives you a good idea what to look for.
1: Yeah, Dimitri and I are both over here going like, yep. I mean I mean we yeah. I mean we we find I mean in all honesty, certain I, I think we find more dough bedding, obviously, just because it, it you know, it that kind of screams at at you, but you find a buck bed here and there for us. Uh, when I went back home early in August to do a little bit of scouting in northeastern Pennsylvania and found a spot that I've been getting a lot of good you know, buck images during the day at night on on some scrapes and walking around these edges of the terrain features, I found a good amount of beds as well. And, you know, lone, lone, single big beds. So that, that was kind yeah. of like my first time back at home finding being like, that's a, for sure a buck bed. And I've hunted there my whole life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, so, I mean, that was a, a cool thing for me to kind of piece that stuff together. But I mean, the one aspect that I've We've talked about on other podcasts, you know, with certain guests is figuring out for me that food source and the secondary food source. Like is that a tactic and a strategy that you've kind of are learning to you feel like you got down or gaining on so
2: so I, I pay a lot of attention to it, but almost involuntarily. So luckily for me, I have my background's in environmental science. So I'm pretty good with uh, with plants. Um, you know, I don't want to give away too much by because there's not a lot of egg, but I hunt around egg by me. Um, and that obviously, you know, when you take that aspect of it, that's the primary food source, you know, anytime of year, unless white oaks are dropping and you got beans that are yellow, that's the primary food source. Um, secondary wise, you don't even have to know what the plants are. If, if you could see that they're browsing on it and you know, it's by good security cover, in my opinion, you found secondary food sources and the apps like, uh, I think one I had was Plant ID. You know, you can learn what different stuff is, and nine times out of ten, if it's native, you know, deer prefer to browse on it versus invasive stuff. Um, like greenbrier, deer love, but I don't believe, I could be wrong on this, I don't believe you'll see them eating stuff like barberry. Barberry is invasive and greenbrier is not. So, you know, just little things like that could be a huge difference, but it, it's as simple as seeing stuff that's freshly browsed on, in all honesty. You know, I think some guys kind of make it a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Do you have anything? Well, and I think that's something you don't,
0: a lot of us don't pay attention to, right? right. You know, we kind of look at the, uh, you know, the more, I don't know, simple or the things that are kind of in front of you, they're more obvious, right? You know, you're looking for uh, acorns and, you know, but we don't look at the briars and what they're nipping on. And, you know, I, I've even, you know, been paying attention to trying to find, you know, scrapes and on trails and, you know, noticing uh, you know, uh, where there was an old scrape, but you can see kind of them nipping at the tree. And, it, you know, obviously I know it's from the year prior, but, you know, if I wasn't paying attention, you wouldn't even, you know, because obviously what what do we look for? The big scrape on the on the ground, right? right? right. You know, the, the obvious um, sign. But, you know, but looking at those trees and, and seeing that they, they they were nipping at them, they were rubbing on them, you know, and, you know, obviously over time the leaves are covered up and, and new vegetation is growing over top of them and they haven't come back to that area. Obviously, you know, it's not a core core area or you know community scrape that they're hitting you around but you know that at you know at some time there was a deer in that area and you can start piecing those puzzles again same with that briar you you when we're walking in the woods you you know you looking at leaves or you know things that they're they, they may be nipping on as they're transitioning from their bed so i think a lot of that kind of gets overlooked I, th- I think i heard a podcast with um uh, is it Jake Bush? I think is his yeah. name. You know, he he was talking that you know he really pays attention to detail and takes you know an hour or two, if not more, to get to a stand. Uh, you know, which I think a lot of us are in a hurry to just kind of get where we want to be moving to, and we don't really pay attention to the the fine details that that could really lead you to, you know, putting the pieces together to figuring things out when you're out there.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. I think I know exactly what podcast you're talking about with Jake Bush, and that's even something that i found myself doing. It's just slowing down when I'm out there. And it's hard. A lot of the times I almost feel like I'm jogging through the woods when I don't even realize it. But uh, slowing down is a huge difference because you notice all those little things you were just talking about.
3: Yeah, Sometimes you, you rush to get to a spot that you, you think at the time is is the spot to be in, but then you kind of miss all the, the sign that you have passed that actually could be this spot at that time so it's it's definitely important i think if you just kind of keep it like in your your subconscious a little bit more to kind of slow down take a look at things like don't necessarily look for like where i hunt there's not a lot of acorns so i i i don't really focus on that more so i look at the browse lines and and pay more attention to that i think it's something ridiculous like i don't know if it's 300 or 600 different species of plants that like deer can digest and that they browse on throughout like their, their their life so it's really like focusing on, on trying to find those kind of things for food sources and in bigger woods environments where there let's say not as much ag is is definitely important to, to put in the, the memory bank.
1: Yeah. And I I know too that for me back at home when it comes to finding some of these scrapes and everything, I know we're transitioning from the food sources to the scrapes but the witch hazel is a plant that we found like a double scrape on and Aaron Hepler has said that over the last couple of weeks now when he's been scouting a little bit, he's he's been finding witch hazel just scrapes everywhere. So something else to maybe you see that species of, of a tree or plant or whatever it is, keep an eye on that.
3: Yeah. Like PJ, you said with the app, like like identifying different plants, like having something like that or like some kind of field manual where you can identify plants and start learning and kind of building your repertoire of different, different shrubs or, or, or trees. And and all that is definitely going to make you a better hunter over time too.
2: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And like I said, you know, it's as simple as seeing that they're browsing on it and eating it actively, but then you go home and look the plant up at the end of the day. And now you kind of know, Hey, I can look for this, or you even read a bio about it, like where it likes to grow, you know, that could lead you to an area that could be good for hunting, you know, that likes, you know, high sunlight upland areas you know, you're not going to, I mean, most people know this already anyway, you're not going to find them in a heavily forested area. So, you know, just different break lines and stuff like that. Um, just simple stuff that can help in a, lots of ways.
1: What has been your success during this time frame, PJ?
2: Uh, I think I'm probably like, like most of you guys, I, I do struggle in October last year. I got really close in Pennsylvania. Um, I was hunting an area that I knew had some good bucks in it. Um, i want to say it was right when you know starting to get good i think it was october 18th so we weren't quite into like scrape week yet but we were getting there i I personally believe october 15th is when stuff starts to change um but i had a real nice 520 inch eight point come down the hill about 60 yards and i just couldn't get it uh couldn't get it done or finished on him but that was the closest i've been so far in october on public land pa um i've shot some smaller bucks when i was in high school in october on um on a buddy's little private piece that we used to have. It was just kind of some woods backed up against the community. But other than that, it's definitely a struggle for me on, uh, in October, just like most people.
3: How about you, Tom? Oh man, uh, October 12th, let's see. I'll probably be starting to kind of, uh, key in on some of the scrapes. I've been seeing a lot of, a lot of my buck activity this, this summer into September um and try to play off that uh, unfortunately with, with how my work schedule falls this year and then um uh, kind of doing a little like a uh, uh, spouse trip to keep her happy so I can get a lot of time off in November I, I can't get out till October 10th for my first day of uh our kind of our statewide season so uh, yeah starting in on kind of checking those scrapes and just honestly hunting those fresh sign uh seeing at that point what's popping up and uh there's anything new that's that's worthwhile hunting is kind of gonna be my mindset up until going into obviously the rough time where I'm gonna focus in on historical data from last year's trail camera pools and what areas I know are hot and honestly keying in on those is gonna be kind of what I'm gonna focus in on as the season progresses. Yeah.
1: What do you what's your tactic you think?
0: <laughs> well I mean I think I'm gonna go off kind of what I what I did well with last year is kind of kind of hunting my way into situations um which i didn't do to kind of mid-october and you know just try to increase my uh you know the chances of of having even not so much even harvesting a buck i mean obviously that's the ultimate goal but having more encounters early on in the season at least trying to figure things out and, and know that i'm on the right path of what i'm looking for because um, even you know going back to what we were talking about slowing down a little bit is I think too, uh, I have a habit of knowing where I want to be, you know, almost n- not a tree specific, but a location, right? Like a, maybe a, a ridge point or, or, a, a, a bench or somewhere specific that I want to be for that, that hunt, maybe, you know, maybe not even having that specific of a, a plan, but just have a general area of where I want to go based off of, you know, intel or wind direction and then kind of, you know, just slow my pace and scout my way in and let the sign tell me where I need to be in that general area um, based off what I'm finding on the way in and kind of slow down and really take my time. And if I, you know, takes me till an hour before dark to find enough sign to want to set up, then I'm going to set up. But otherwise I'm not just going to, going to be like, well, the wind's good for this setup. Let's go in here, set up and then see what happens.
1: Yeah. I, I listened to podcasts from, uh, Aaron Blisey with his buddies and, in it was actually the one where he had on with his buddy that was going to Kentucky for early season. And when he was talking about like the hopeful hunters, like just the hope, like get, like what you just said to me, to get into that spot and hope. And hopefully by this point in time, like you, I want to get to my spot by taking my time, scout my way in. And like you said, if if it comes to an hour and I still have yet to find that sign, I'm going to keep going until I find sign and maybe mark it. And then, hey, maybe in a couple of days, I'll come back with a right wind or something situation. So, I'm going to try to, even though if I don't get up into a tree and specifically hunt, my goal is to at least walk out of that that timber with like a game plan. Either I'm not coming back here because it's not hot and come back at a later date and maybe recheck it if things get sour in a different spot. Or, hey, it took me until the last 20 minutes of, of daylight to find a spot with good sign, scrapes, whatever, rubs, and then maybe, like I said, come back in a couple of days. So that's going to be kind of my game plan going into, you know, the rest of this way for this season. And hopefully, hopefully the game plan works. We'll see.
2: So that's actually something I kind of forgot to mention that helped in, you know, really clicking for me in 2020 and 21. Um, I kind of got to the point where I don't have a destination of where I'm going to hunt. Like, yeah, I have an area like Dimitri said. Um, and other than that, you know, I'm kind of, I've got, spartan forge out of my phone um i'm looking at topo lines i'm looking at different um habitat breaks i'm scouting my way in but that made a huge difference for me um i don't ever have like a a preset tree i kind of stopped doing that that real early season scouting in the summer um i kind of changed it more to glassing is a lot of what what i'm doing my brother was glass fields um you know we'll set some cameras in later summer to kind of see velvet inventory and honestly just because you get excited getting pictures of big bucks and velvet but um that has been a huge difference for me is just going in and hunting i'm not i'm not you know this is the tree i'm going to i will hunt there um you know i saw this rub in in february that's where i'm going which has definitely worked for me i've had good hunts doing that but i've just found. I've been disappointed so many different times hunting Stein that I like I saw in February. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be dynamite October 31st. Like this is where you kill a buck and Holly and I go there and I don't even see a fawn. So it's, I've just had way better success hunting stuff that I know is like, Hey, they were here yesterday or they were here this week or, you know, at least sometime in the recent,
3: you know, past. Let's just throw a hypothetical out there. Let's say we're we're walking in, you kind of get to, let's just say the area you want to be at. You're not seeing any sign that you're kind of all right. Let's let's hang a stand or a saddle. Let's let's get in a tree this time. What are your thoughts? And do you keep on scouting and just kind of chalk it up as a scouting day? Do you kind of still hunt in in that area anyways, or do you kind of venture off even farther and just check a whole different area out? Well,
2: that that's kind of the personality I get into when when something like that happens. If I go somewhere I had an idea of in my head or I've hunted in the past and it just looks dry, I'll just kind of keep walking. Um, And if I don't find something I may not set up, that doesn't happen often because I think we all like to, Oh, we got an hour till dark. Let's, you know, let's get in a tree. So we at least have a fighting chance. But, um, I've definitely had times where I've done that. I've gotten up in the tree and been like, well, this, this was pointless. I knew I wasn't going to see a deer when I got up here and I did it anyway. And, you know, I went, I could have been scouting. Um, and then I've had times where I've gone the next ridge over and seen the sign and been like, yeah, this, this is it. This is where I needed to be. You know, and I've also gone to the next ridge and be like, Oh, well, that wasn't worth walking to. So, but you just don't know until you do it. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think getting over that hurdle is like the hardest part is like not setting up as soon as you get to the area or just, I think we're in our mind, we're always so focused on our, we got to get in the tree because that's how we're going to kill a deer where more time should kind of like walking in scouting and then also keep on going until you find what you think is going to be the best, most productive sit for you for that evening.
2: No, I will say there's definitely times where that, that is needed. Um, I think in bigwood situations, you can't go off of like all these guys want to talk about, um, you know, first time in is is the only good sit. That is true. I think in a lot of places like Delaware, I think when you come to Pennsylvania and you're hunting a 70,000 acre piece, I don't think that's necessarily true because deer don't bump through the same spot every day. Um, but when you're hunting that broken habitat in hagland you know, they probably come through every day or every other day at the latest. So um then another another place I would sit multiple days is gun season. That's definitely all another story. Um it's almost man-made movement versus natural movement. So that's that's where I would vary there. Like if I have good historical spots for gun season, I'm going to them for the most part.
1: Well, even just how you're just saying about, like, crossing things off and making sure, like, because you don't know until you get boots on the ground and go scout that next ridge, whatever. I mean, that even goes to rewind, take the hunting aspect out of it, but even, like, the scouting trips. Like, we, we, you put all these little waypoints in here and there where you want to go, and, you know, like, our la- latest one that you and I did that a couple weeks ago, we were like, let's go up into this corner. It looked really good on – on the map because of what you think would draw and how we were finding sign. We just thought maybe this one little other secluded spot could be dynamite. And we got there and we were like, yeah, nope, this is not the, the, the," I mean, there was not even a a set of turds on the ground. Like we might've found one, uh, but everywhere else where we came from, it was really good historical, you know, past uh, sign. So that was like a, even though it, returned a dud for us, but it was a good check mark off the box saying, okay, we were here. We know it's not that great and would high, hold that to a high value to go in there and, and maybe hunt.
2: Right. Yeah. No signs. Definitely not a failure. You know, it's something you don't have to waste your time hunting. Um, so yeah, honestly, any more scouting that you do isn't, isn't a waste of time. Um, another thing, I don't know if, if you guys have ever thought about it this way. I think a lot of the time when I used to scout were early too, I think the fact that I could see the whole season sign laid down would confuse me quite a bit. Um, you know, I could see rubs that are from September 15th and some of those rubs could be from, I've seen them fresh in the middle of December. So it's, it's, I think taking all that in, I wasn't guessing right more than I was, than I wasn't. Um, so that's another reason that I think scouting is I'm going in and not really having those presets, it's pre scouted spots. Um, you know general scouting is obviously done like walking the area so i know the lay of the land but not picking specific trees and stuff like that i think has worked out because if i go in and i see a rub I, you know i'm not really taking it into account unless it was made in the last couple of days so I, I just think that made a big difference in simplifying the information that i was
3: basing my hunts off of. Uh, how would you prioritize then the, the, the freshest sign or like like between scrape rub fresh droppings browse and let's say like active trails that you may find like what do you what are you keen on the most that's the most important to you do you think
2: so i've always loved finding big rubs you know higher up in the tree everyone says you know that waist heights like the height you're looking for um i've never had a lot of success hunting rub lines um scrapes i've definitely done a lot better with um the area i killed my bucket in, in pennsylvania last year was a primary scrape area i was not sitting over the scrape when i killed him but you know he was within 100 yards of that primary scrape um so in general i think i weight them a lot heavier i've seen on cameras you know i love putting cameras on primary scrapes you, you get tons of pictures um and then they definitely attract deer and even if you're not getting pictures of deer on them i think a lot of bucks go downwind to those scrapes at some point they will be on the camera though um i kind of look at rubs in that aspect more as a piece of the puzzle um you know if if you find a bedding area like we we're talking about, I seem to find a lot of dough beds in Pennsylvania, too. I kind of rub it off as a dough bedding if I don't really find a lot of rubs around it, but at the same time, when you get into that November time frame, you definitely will find rubs around it, so you know you're kind of in like the cyclical thing of what sign means what again um and that's why I think I've had a tough time with rubs in that aspect because they can mean so many different things you know it could be an aggression rub, I think they might just make them randomly sometimes in certain places. Um But scrapes, I think scrapes and, and poop are kind of undeniable. If you find drop, like deer droppings, you know, the deer was there and you can always almost tell how old it is. So I think those are two big things. And then obviously tracks. Tracks can tell you a lot too. That's yeah, good.
1: Now talk about, because that, that's really good about, you know, prioritizing your, your freshest sign. And you said you, were, you really got a lot of your hunting strategy and techniques from Dan infall and you kind of molded it into your own, what kind of things have you taken from him and molded into your own little hunting style?
2: So before I kind of, and it's not even just Dan, you know, a lot of those guys are right. hunting that way and just, they're all talking about the same stuff. They don't, I don't even think some of them realize it, but they all kind of say similar things. Um, I never even would have thought before the age of like probably 18 years old to, to hunt a bed. Like that wasn't a thought in my mind was, Hey, where is he bedded? Um, I, the way I was bought up gun hunting in New York was, was most of it. Um, you know, you kind of only thought about travel, you know, travel corridors, uh, where deer were going to be funneled through and things like that. So when I started thinking about like bedding and bow hunting specifically kind of bought that need to get close to deer. um, that changed how I scouted and looked at everything in the woods um no longer was finding myself sitting in an open hardwood ridge um you know areas with less trees almost you know got better in my eyes which i think a lot of people are starting to realize is you know scrubby trees you know just broken timber crp grasses is all habitat that's actually more favorable for most wildlife um and and just looking at it in that aspect i Spent two years probably going and trying to do the whole hunt this individual bed on this wind and whatnot. I did not see a buck doing that. I'm sure a lot of it was me. Um, and I'm sure a lot of it too, is that I think the bucks are more cyclical in Pennsylvania. You know, they're not bedding in one bed more than probably once a week. I think some of those MSU deer lab studies found. So just little stuff like that. Uh, the browse, I think, was a big thing Dan talked about. Just looking like, if you know of a bedding area and you want to see if they're using it, go look if they're freshly browsing things on the trails coming out of it. You know, if they're not eating coming out of it, there's probably not deer in the area. You know, or if scrapes aren't opened up around it, they're probably not in the area. Just little stuff that I didn't think about as a kid in high school. Um, and as I've gotten more time to be in the woods and, and just listen to more of the stuff like that, it's really kind of clicked. That's
0: good. Good. Well, and I know on a, uh, I think it was, I, I think it was a podcast or maybe I saw it on a YouTube video where he really talked about, you know, he, obviously he has the very aggressive approach to his hunting style. And, you know, he, he said, uh, talked about that first sit being your best opportunity, but he also said, you know, kind of what we were talking about before is if, if, if you're not diving in deep enough to figure out, you know, where you need to be or where the freshest sign. And he said, if you're if you're not jumping a couple bucks, good bucks, you know, and making that mistake of diving in too far, then you're probably not learning enough. Right. And, you know, for him, as he said, those mistakes are kind of things that helped him, you know, be a better hunter and kind of putting pieces together. And I think we're just so afraid to, to make those mistakes. Cause you know, a lot of us, don't have the time and, and, you know, that a lot of those guys are able to put towards hunting in a season, you know, we feel like if we make that mistake, Oh geez, I only got like five sits or six sits left, you know, that could have been my chance, you know, but I think, you know, not worrying about that and, and, and doing the things that you feel is right um, is going to make you more
2: successful. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think a lot of the time before that, you know, when I first started hunting that way and had less success, I wasn't pushing myself close enough um, and I definitely still worry about it. You know, I don't want to get, no one wants to bust deer out, but um, I, I definitely do now. And and a lot of the times I don't see deer cause I probably went too far, but you know, I'd rather that be the case than not have gone far enough. And that's why I'm not seeing the deer. Um, and I can definitely say in recent years, you know, just not caring about the situation and being as aggressive as I possibly can has resulted in seeing more deer at the very least.
1: Coming weekend ahead of this PA season, the so-called October lull and you know we've str- I've struggled seeing bucks during this time frame I feel like my strategy going into this weekend is going to be a spot where it is the thickest nastiest cover as possible get into that dark canopy and if I have a hopefully a cell camera telling me that a buck hit a scrape then the wind is right that's going to be my game plan for this upcoming weekend
2: yeah after the first week and a half i'd say that's about that's about what i'll be doing um i really i really don't think you can beat either um you know elevation i think if you can get up something steep that makes a huge difference as well so i, I can actually picture man i'm not really going to get out that first weekend uh, actually have an alumni game for lacrosse but um that second weekend i think i'll definitely be up uh up something, Steve.
1: Now talk about that a little bit then PJ, because we've heard that from multiple guests. Steve talked about that. Steve Shirk talked about, you know, getting that higher elevation. What have you noticed doing that? And like Tom piggyback off that, because I know you're, you're hunting in that type of uh, terrain features as well.
2: Um, you know, basically what I've noticed is, is they are kind of doing that typical thing. They bet up high in that situation which makes it really, really hard to come in from the bottom, you know, below them and and get a good hunt in. Um, But just camera data, and actually it's how I shot my buck last year in Pennsylvania as well. You know, a lot of times they will walk straight down something that's that steep because they feel confident in it. You know, a lot of people don't want to walk up it, um, you know, and a lot of people not even – just from a, you know, being a, like a lazy aspect and not want to put the effort in, but in the winter, it's really hard to figure that out. I think last year um, I went in in bibs carried my jacket in my bag and everything like that. And I was still soaked in sweat. And I think that was, that was first week in November, you know, we were getting below 20. So that, that was really tough. And figuring that whole thing out is hard as well, just how to even get up there and, and stay warm and not soak through all your clothes to get up there. But, um, i've noticed by me from the actual hunting strategy of it that they they don't even really truly side hill much they're almost coming straight down and i i think the other thing that makes that almost more consistent than other types of betting is that it's not wind-based i think it's almost solely visual based on the stuff by me because you know it's so steep to the point that no one is coming from behind or um below them in a lot of spots and there's only certain areas that people can really walk up to get to them um now coyotes and stuff's a whole different story but um i think that it's just very consistent and they're there a lot and a lot of it's visual based versus a lot of pennsylvania betting which is generally wind based
3: yeah i would agree i have uh, this year i'm running my first cell camera and it's it's up on higher elevation which all my access is is um bottom so actually i was able to get a little bit enough bars to run a cell camera this year and 90% of my photos all summer and everything I've been daylighting photos of, of mature bucks that are that are up top and I mean some of my elevation differences are 600-700 feet up that you have to climb and honestly any anywhere I feel like you go in PA like you get 200 probably that 300 feet mark whether it's up or down you're going to get away from 90% of your competition as well and I think the bucks realize that and they're going to stay up higher if the access is low and it's like you said. It's just very challenging to uh, to to get to them because they're gonna see you if they're they're betting up high and you're coming up in front of them. It, you almost have to like go to the backside of some of these mountains and get up over top of them. But I, I don't even know how that would work out either. It's just That actually a, uh, that,
2: that kind of comes into part of the strategy. I actually really like mornings, um, even in early season, for that reason um if you can go in early enough and kind of side hill it for maybe a couple hundred yards before where you know they're coming up i think a lot of the times you could surprise them when they're in those steep elevations i truly don't think they're laying down a lot of times before dark um i think they browse up there because they feel safe and people don't go up there so i think you could definitely surprise a buck in the morning um especially last year uh this is a little bit more of an outlier. It was, it was November 5th that I harvested my buck in Pennsylvania last year. I, I got up there early, you know, two hours before light. I was sitting in the tree, and I was kind of watching a doe travel area, but it was also a buck bedding area not too far away because of the, you know, the um, elevation gain. And even in early season, it didn't change much. Um, but I heard the buck actually lay down right in gray light kind of probably 40, 50 yards from me, and he came in. All I did was a rattling sequence and break some branches and stuff, and then smartweaves after, and he came right in. But I know for a fact that I could hear him. He didn't lay down before it was shooting light. So I think a lot of people kind of underestimate that.
0: Now, when you're hunting these higher elevations, is there a certain you know, terrain feature at the, the upper, like, you know, you're looking for like a bench or, you know um, you go into the top of the mountain, like, what are you looking for uh, on those steeper elevation that makes you want to set up and and get to that point?
2: Uh, Just generally benches Um, and they don't have to be giant benches. You'll even, a lot of times you won't see them on a map. You'll just see little knobs or just little flat areas, um, maybe under a hemlock tree. Um, something to that effect they could bet under, but yeah, in general, just a little break in that monotonous elevation that they could lay on.
1: Building off of that, the importance of the access is, is key. And I like that you said, PJ, that that's the a specific reason why you like hunting early mornings for early season.
2: Yeah, no, I think mornings can be good all year round. Um, I think late season would be a little bit tougher, but I've definitely seen bucks in the morning and late season in Pennsylvania too. So I wouldn't count it out. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Greg, Greg Litzinger is a big morning person.
1: I think he is. I think Greg. I think Greg's just a get out there and friggin' try to make yeah. it happen type of person too. I, love I was going to say, if,
2: if we're being real, you know, if you're a working guy, you're, you're hunting every chance you can get. So yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. What,
1: what about, so like now for this upcoming year, anything, you know, new for either one of you and, uh, um, testing out, trying out and, you know, new spots, areas, anything along those lines?
2: Um, this is probably the first year that my gears really staying the same. Um, that'll be year three in a saddle and I kind of not really even look back from that hunting wise. Um, I'll definitely on some new areas, you know, on public around, around me, you know, I can go anywhere from, 45 minutes to an hour away is about the furthest I go for the most part. Um, I probably, I'll probably actually get one more early season hunt in Delaware and uh, I've got to go pick a deer up from the butcher. So I'm not going to waste the weekend while I'm down there. Um, and that'll just probably be a day and a half hunt. So I'll have that, and then I'll, I'll do New York again this year during gun season. And, and maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get up there for a couple of days of bow season.
3: Gear-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty dialed for the most part. I am still running the, my uh, out-on-the-limb tree stand. And I actually just added for my birthday, my, uh, my parents got me the uh, Sika's new um, ambient jacket, which I feel like for, for what I do with, with, with the hiking and everything like that, that's going to be nice to kind of wick some of the moisture away and not get too overheated. So we got that, and then another PA company I just found, uh, Innovating the Outdoors. They're called. They make a really cool um, gear hanger um, that you can kind of customize, and uses like an amp-, amp steel rope. And it just, I've set up in the tree a couple times the other uh, today uh, uh, in my backyard, but just makes like how their attachment method is. It just makes it super simple and easy to uh, hook up to the tree quickly. Nice.
1: And PJ, you said three years now in the saddle and not looking mm-hmm. back. Man, that's uh, that seems to be a, a, a key thing that we hear from people. What uh, what system are you running? Any? Are you a minimalist type of saddle hunter, like only taking what you need? And are you packing it? No, little-
2: no, I'm definitely not. A, I, I run a pretty big, saddle so I run a Cruiser XC. Um, and I have, I think it only came out the year before that. But I really like, you know, a pleated saddle in general. Um, just for that comfort factor, if I want to sit, if I want to stand, I fold it up Um Pack wise, I'm running an Everly Stock X two, which this'll actually this will be second year of that pack. Um and I like that pack for going up elevation changes and stuff. I just feel like I can fit more clothing in it that I'm not wearing. Um, if necessary. Like uh I have a sick of fanatic jacket that I cannot wear walking in anywhere, but once I get in the tree it's great. Um so just stuff like that. Uh, I've been running muddy pro sticks for, I think I'm going on three years now with those two. I just replaced the ropes on them. Um, and just about nothing on them is original. Now that I'm thinking about, it. I think I've got lone wolf standoffs on them and B steps. Um, I really didn't like those folding steps cause they made noise after the first year. They, uh, they creaked quite a bit. Um, and the B steps are quite a bit lighter getting rid of that cam action on the steps. So, um, But other than that, nothing fancy about my setup. Um, I just, for early season, I'm probably more minimalistic. But once winter comes, I definitely like to have, you know, hot coffee, clothes, hand warmers, just little stuff like that.
1: Isn't it nice when your gears all dialed in and you don't you are not trying something new? Like it's so funny because when you are trying something new, you're excited, right? You're like, ah, oh, I get to try this new shiny thing. And like now though, like once you get it dialed in and you're really you're fine tuning, make those micro adjustment to things, you're like, Man, I just gotta get it ready and test it a couple of times, shoot out of it and like let's rock and roll.
2: Yeah. You no, know, I agree. It's definitely a nice feeling, but at the same time, I like tinkering and stuff, yeah. so that's always a fun aspect, too. Yeah,
1: that is good. That's awesome, man. Well, Tom, do you have anything else?
3: Um, not really. I just, um, anything different, PJ, regarding your strategy, like for, let's say, New York or Jersey, if you tag out in PA, like what like your approach is going to be, or like if, if it's the archery season when you get out there?
2: So right now my plan is, obviously, I want to focus heavy on Pennsylvania because I'd love to finally get a, a nice buck in October in Pennsylvania. Um, and if that does end up happening for me, I'll definitely focus some time in New York. I've got a family farm that we're allowed to hunt on in New York uh, in the southern tier. So that's a pretty good hunting part of the state as well. And I'll probably spend some time up there. Um, I've also pondered the idea if I can get, a, get it done early enough in Pennsylvania. My brother and I have been talking about getting into some duck hunting. So that'd be a ton of fun too. switch things up um i don't think i'll do jersey this year i haven't since i was younger Bow so, hunting wise i've pondered it almost every year because uh there's some units maybe an hour for me to get a september 1st o- or uh not september 1st i think september this whatever date it was, it this was past past Saturday of this. opener. Yeah. but uh i couldn't take the date in my head but yeah that's what i pondered for a while um but other than that, no, no, nothing crazy. Just really focusing on Pennsylvania and then I'll definitely be going hunting New York.
1: And Tom, you said you're, you won't be hunting the first couple of days of, of our season. And I know you, you were originally planning on going to Nebraska. That kind of fell through because it was like a friggin' hell on earth uh, pretty much.
3: Yeah, it kind of, um, yeah, that, that fell through. It just wasn't looking like ideal conditions. And then just some some family home stuff came up and it just made it a little bit more challenging. So we, we passed on that, but... I might try to get out. Uh, I actually got to remember to go to the uh, courthouse. I want to try to get a five a, a C or early special regs kind of unit uh, tag. I think there was like 22,000 left or something like that the last time I looked. So if I can get out maybe once or twice in uh, early September and then kind of hold me over until I can make it out kind of mid October. And then I, I looked at my work schedule. I'm off like November 3rd until like Thanksgiving. So I have a nice uh, time frame to hopefully get it done and, in PA, and if not, if if I do get it done, then maybe uh, we try to get out to Nebraska. Or, or I, I do love hunting New York. New York's a great state, and also a, a two buck state uh, to, 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 yep. to go up there. So nice,
2: yeah. You, know? I highly recommend. Uh, there's some really good areas right above kind of the Allegheny area if you go into the New York border. That southern tier definitely grows some big deer. There's a lot of ag around there. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: what's going to be your expectations or goals going into Ohio? Uh.
0: Just put something on the ground. So, um, not going to be picky. Uh, obviously, they don't have an antler roll. So, uh, probably going to be there. I don't really know what the time frame, five to seven days, depending on how things go. You can actually, I'll probably get two tags. Um, so, you can end up, uh, it's a two deer unit. Uh, you can either shoot a buck and a doe, or you could just shoot two does if you wanted to. Um, so again, you know, it's a, a piece I've only been to one time and, um, then just going in there for the hunt. So it's going to not be any high expectations of, you know, shooting a booner or anything. And if, if a buck comes by that, that's, uh, sounds good for me. I'm going to fill the freezer
1: because ohio is interesting it has the terrain features like we have here in pennsylvania but then you know for us we don't hunt ag but you could possibly have that opportunity there as well
0: yeah and um you know so we'll see what happens i don't know it's gonna be fun because the the obviously it is similar terrain but the kind of the uh species of um you know, trees and, and heavy green briars is definitely something I'm not used to. So, um, and the benches are, are a lot smaller that you're going to see because it's, you know, very steep drop-offs. Um, so it's going to be a little bit different. So it's going to be just going in there and, and you know, during that uh, pre-rut into the rut and trying to find that hot sign and just figuring out where they're at. Yeah. Good deal, boys. I like it.
1: Well, man, well, boys, I, I, I think this is a uh, – a good way to wrap things up. I best of luck the rest of the way for the season when when this drops and everything. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to reconvene at the end of our gun season in Pennsylvania and talk about our successes that we've had.
2: Yeah, it was great talking to all you guys.
1: Absolutely. Well, everybody, PJ, where can people find you? Follow along with with your hunting journey and all that stuff.
2: Uh, I'm just on Instagram. It's just my name. It's PJ Matarazzo. I think it's underscore Matarazzo. Um, and I'm on Facebook as well.
3: Tom, let it eat. Uh, just T. Run Scav, my name, on Instagram. Yep. All right, boys.
1: Well, appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next week. Till next time.
3: And we're out.